Great. <laughs> Hi. Um, my name is Sarah, as Andrew's already said, and it's, yeah, it's a real privilege this morning to be just sharing the Word of God with us, and I hope that you are encouraged this morning. Um, so we've got a new theme. Uh, we're moving on from purpose to there is a cloud, and this theme is going to build up to Easter, which is actually quite soon, uh, and we're going to be just thinking about this phrase, there is a cloud. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you've ever lived through a drought. Um, I grew up on a farm, so I know about drought. Um, or maybe you've lived through yeah, uh, water restrictions or something like that. But um, yeah, water is essential. Rain is essential to all of us, um, and especially to the farmers. So I know the anguish of drought when you're just looking at the clouds and you're waiting for the rain and every time you see a cloud you think, oh, is it going to rain today? Is it going to rain today? Um, And this is what was happening in 1 Kings 17 to 18. There had been no rain for three and a half years. You can imagine, and no, not even due. So they're not even due for three and a half years. Um, And this is kind of where this slogan or this um, phrase, there is a cloud, comes from. So in that time, uh, uh, the king, king Ahab was ruling Israel, and I think you might know about him and his wife Jezebel. They really um, were um, not good for the for the kingdom of Israel, and people turned away from the Lord and were worshiping Baal. And it's quite interesting that actually Baal was the Canaanite god for rain, but uh, there was no rain for three and a half years. And the Lord sent Elijah to King Ahab, and he said, "There will be no rain." Or do until I say so. So this is kind of what's happening in the background here. And after three and a half years, the Lord told Elijah to present himself, go back to Ahab and say that, and that he would then send the rain. So Elijah summoned all the people, um, and summoned the prophets of Baal, um, to Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is on the coast of Israel. If you've ever been there, it's next to the city of Haifa. And it looks, it's this mountain that then looks out on the Mediterranean. And he summoned everyone there. Uh, and he said, now nah, today we're going to, we're going to see for, we're going to, uh, settle it for definite. Uh, who is God? Is Baal God? And you can, if he is, then you can worship him. Is the Lord God? Uh, you know, let's, let's make a decision on that. So, um, he said, we're going to set up two altars and you guys, prophets of Baal can go first and you can, the God who answers with fire on these altars, that's, that's God. Um, so, so that's what was happening at the back here. Now the interesting thing, I just heard this the other day when I was listening to something by David Pawson. He says that apparently the altars for Baal, they used to actually have secret tunnels underneath them and the priests would climb in there and would light the fire from underneath and say, look, they would trick the people, look, the God, Baal has answered with fire. So now Elijah said, now we, you're going to build it right here. We're all going to watch you and you're going to build this altar right here. So there's no, there could be no trickery by these prophets of Baal. So, um, yeah, so, so they built the altar and they called out to Baal and, and nothing happened. And Elijah mocked them and I mean, it was quite, it was quite something. Um, and then Elijah came with his altar, and he put the sacrifice on his altar. And then he said, um, now I want to drench this sacrifice with, with water. And the interesting thing was that there's apparently a spring that never runs dry at the top of Mount Carmel. That's still there today. That's where they got the water from because it had never, hadn't rained for three and a half years. And they took that water from the spring, and they drenched the, the offering, and Elijah prayed, and the fire of God came. And there was an amazing victory, and the people said, the Lord, he is God. 
the prophets of Baal were destroyed. And after that, Elijah said, I hear the sound of heavy rain. Still no clouds in the sky, but I hear the sound of heavy rain. And he went then to the top of Mount Carmel and he prayed seven times. Nothing happened. On the seventh time, a servant came back and said, I see a cloud. There is a cloud. What are we talking about today? There is a cloud the size of a man's hand. And the sky grew black with clouds and a heavy rain started. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're talking about here. Isaiah 18 verse 41, he said, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. Um, it hadn't, there was no clouds and he heard that sound of a heavy rain. He had perfect hope that the Lord would come through. Derek Prince says in his book, Unshakable Hope, he said, hope is a serene, confident expectation of good. He says, faith is in the heart, but hope is in the mind. Faith is in the present, hope is in the future. And Elijah hoped in God. He sent his servant back seven times, and then the servant saw the cloud the size of a man's hand. And in a very short space of time, everything changed. Everything changed in Israel because God sent the rain. In um, in Hebrews 10, uh, there's a lot of... Uh, um, well, the, the writer, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews was, but the writer talks a lot about hope and faith. And he says in Hebrews 10 verse 23, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, because he who promised is faithful. He then goes on to talk about our confidence. We mustn't throw away our confidence because we have this hope and faith. And then moves into um, Hebrews 11, that great passage on faith where he says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So Elijah had faith in the present and hope in the future. And today I want to remind us that we, if we have faith in Jesus, then we can have that same hope that Elijah had. So my title in the line with our theme of there is a cloud is perhaps today we've got to have hope. And and you'll see over here that I've also brought my little aid along. <laughs> and, and this is um uh yeah, this is uh, something I've had for almost twenty years and I put it up in my office. It says and you guys can see it, um perhaps today. Uh there it is over there. And to me, this is, I, I like art, so I enjoy sort of looking out for interesting pieces of art. And this is my, probably one of my most precious pieces of art in my, in my, um, in my house. I used to have it in my office and now I've got it in my office at home. And I just put it up so I can just, if I glance up and I'm working on my desk, I can just see perhaps today. And my sister actually did this for me, which was in her graffiti stage, she said. This was her graffiti phase of life. Um, and it's just to remind me, um, she actually graffitied it onto her bedroom wall, but just to remind me that perhaps today God is going to answer that prayer. Perhaps today I'm going to see that miracle that I've been praying for. Perhaps today I'll get that healing that I've been asking the Lord for. Perhaps today Jesus will return. And we need to live our lives thinking perhaps today. So I'll keep it up there, but that's kind of what I want to talk about today um, uh, and just uh, remind us about the hope that we have. So I want to start by, okay, I've read a few scriptures, but uh, now going to just a few scriptures on hope. Um, the first one is, is Romans 15 verse 13, um, and this is Paul writing, and I've got a lot of pages, so let's do that. 
Um, in Romans 15 verse 13, it says, it's a beautiful scripture, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy, with all peace and believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So our God is a God of peace, he's a God of joy, he's a God of righteousness and power, but he is a God of hope. And we are filled with, when we are filled with joy and peace uh, from believing, from our faith in Jesus, the result is that we will overflow with hope. And actually, we can't survive without hope. In Ephesians, Paul again tells us, it will give us a picture of those who don't have hope. In Ephesians 2, he says, at that time when you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of providence, providence, Sorry, promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He was saying here that when you are lost, when you're without Christ, you're without hope. And hope is an integral part of our salvation. So you're without hope when you're without Christ. So when we have Christ, we have hope. And we need hope to survive this world. Um, And there's also another beautiful scripture in, in Hebrews again talking about uh, what is our hope? Um, in Hebrews, and I think we, can we turn there? Um, it says Hebrew, it's in Hebrews 6 verses 18 to 20. I want to just read that and talk about that a bit. Um, just get there. So Hebrews 6 verses 18 to 20 says, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope um, offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He became our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, this, sometimes the, the, the sort of wording in the Bible is, is tricky to understand. Um, but again, I was reading something by, about Derek Prince, and I think he really sort of explains the scripture nicely. He says uh, in his book, again, Unshakable Hope, Our hope is an anchor for the soul. It is steadfast and sure. An anchor passes out of time into eternity and fastens, fastens onto the rock of ages, Jesus Christ who is our high priest. If you think about a boat, um, it's actually on the water, which is unstable. Um, but as soon as the, you put the anchor down and it hits the rock, then it becomes unstable. Then it becomes unstable. So the anchor passes from the boat through the unstable water onto that stable rock. And as we spend time with Jesus and we cast our anchor onto the rock of ages, when the storms come, when the hurricanes of life come, can't move. Um, and that is the way we um, anchor ourselves is with our hope in Jesus. Jesus is, our hope is that anchor, uh, and Jesus is the rock that we anchor onto. So we need to train our minds to hope. Um, and so this morning, I just wanted to give us a few, sorry, now this is where I wanted to change the order of my slides. I wanted to give us just a few, remind us of why we why we hope, why we, why we have a hope. Um, so the first one is that we hope, uh, we have a hope because of what God's word says. Okay. Uh, because of the scripture. 
And I've just put two scriptures up there. There's lots that you can find, um, and there's lots of scriptures on hope. Um, I actually started preparing this preach on hope in 2006. I was looking up everything about hope, um, and uh, yeah, there's just so much out there in the in the Word of God about hope, the reason why we can have hope. So the first thing is because of God's Word, His Scripture. Um, Psalm 119, uh, verse 74, it says, May those who fear you rejoice when they see me for I have put my hope in your word I have put my hope in your word in the New Testament in Romans 15 it says for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we may have hope so we can trust in God's word we know that we can and we can trust in his promises and we can put our hope in the in the scripture so that's the first thing to remind us the next thing why we can have hope um, is in God's unfailing love, in his covenantal saving love. In so, Again in the Psalms, Psalm 33, it says, A horse is a vain hope of deliverance. Despite all of its strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love. And those who hope in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Um, yeah, God's love. We can't escape it, uh, and it will never fail us. Everything else in life fails us, but God's unfailing love, and we can put our hope in that. The third reminder of just reasons to have hope is God's character. Um, again, in the Psalms, beautiful descriptions of hope. Psalm 146 says, Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. God's character is steadfast. He is faithful. He is the maker of heaven and earth, and he um, is our God. If we've put our faith in him, we can have hope because of who God is. And God's plans are sure. That's the fourth thing. We know that famous verse in Jeremiah 29, that God's plans for us, he's got plans for us, even though it feels like there is no plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Um, so God has got a plan. And sometimes it feels like there is no plan, but definitely God has a plan, and that gives us hope for the future. Um, and then the last one is is obviously Jesus. Um Jesus, uh, his resurrection gives us hope, and the fact that he is coming again, his second coming, and that's what we live, what we, that is what we are looking for. That's what we're hoping in. In 1 Peter, um, 1, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in Titus 2, it says, We wait in blessed hope for that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus has died for our sins, and he has been raised from the dead, and he is coming back again. And we can hope in that. Um, and, yeah, we, we hope in his return when he comes back to, for us, uh, his church, his bride. So... Um, 
Yeah, that's just five things. There's more, I'm sure, but just just to remind us why we can have hope. And yeah, I'm just trying to think about uh, an example, just about hope. Um, and if you know me, I, I really enjoy history. I like reading biographies of people who've changed the world or uh, you know, been brave, etc. And, and I really enjoy reading about the polar um, expeditions. Um, I actually, when I, I went to Cambridge a few years ago, and they have something called the Polar Institute, and they've got a whole lot of sort of artifacts and uh, not relics, but you know, stuff from these polar um, uh, expeditions, stuff from Scott and uh, Franklin and all these guys who, I mean, they, they were really uh, brave guys, and some of them died out there, etc. But someone who really interested me is um, Ernest Shackleton. And he was uh, kind of around the time, it was sort of the early 1900s, where there was all these great polar races to get to the North Pole and the South Pole. And in 1911, Amundsen, uh, a Norwegian, got was the first guy to get to the South Pole. Uh, and he was in a race with Captain Scott. Um, and unfortunately, the, the Captain Scott's team all, all died on, on that race. But Amundsen got there he was, um, and, and got back. And shortly after that, Ernest Shackleton said, okay, well, they've already got to the South Pole, so he wanted to be the first guy to walk across Antarctica. Um, so he got funding, and he got a team together, um, and, uh, yeah, he put this team together to, to, to it was called the Trans-Antarctic um, Expedition, and kind of 1914, so very shortly after they got to the South Pole. And he got two ships um, and the one ship was going to come from the South Georgia Islands. So you can see this little map over here. So South America's there. And his ship, the HMS um, Endurance, quite a good uh, name for uh, that ship, um, was going to come from that. And then he had another, uh, a lot other guys coming from Australia. And they, six of him and six others were going to trek across um, Antarctica. And they would meet, be met with provisions from the ship coming from, from Australia as well, just because they wouldn't have enough supri- supplies all the way through. So it was a really um, fantastic, uh, exciting expedition that they were going to go on. And they um, left, so, so Shackleton left uh, the South Georgia Islands. There was whaling stations on the South Georgia Islands. Uh, he left that um, island on the 5th of December, and he had 27 crew. And then they discovered one stowaway as well, and I'm sure that stowaway must have regretted that he <laughs> stowed away on that ship. They had one stowaway, and they found this guy. Anyway, he was part of the team then. I think he became a steward to someone or, or other. Uh, and they started uh, sailing for, they were coming, they, you know, they were going to sail through the Weddell Sea and then start their, their trek, basically. Uh, but they encountered a lot of ice. As soon as they started, uh, uh, you know, you can see there, at 7th of December, they entered into this pack ice. And eventually, actually, the ice was so packed around them that they were stuck in the ice. And they had to just go with the ice. And the ice was kind of flowing downwards and then started flowing northwards. But they were basically stuck in the ice. And then... In the, so this is for a few months now. So you can imagine being stuck in the ice in the boat for a few months. And then uh, when the spring came, the ice started to melt, and it started to put all these forces onto the, 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 the boat, and the boat actually was crushed and sank. So they had to get all their stuff out, and then they were basically them, and they were just on this ice floe, this flat piece of ice. Okay, so they were still okay, and they were navigating, obviously, so they kept flowing upwards, and they thought, well, maybe we'll sort of eventually get to a point where we can sort of get to some place where we can see if we can get um, rescued. But then the ice floe started to break up. 
So then they had to get into these little lifeboats. They were about six meters long, and then they had to just get to the nearest land. So they had provisions that what they could save from the from the boat, but they uh, then got into these boats and they rowed to Elephant Island. You can see Elephant Island there. Um, but this Elephant Island was just a really inhospitable place, and it's not on any shipping route. So they knew that they could not. There was no real hope for rescue. They were on land, but I think there was just a colony of seals living there, and no one was really going to know where they were or, you know, no, no hope of rescue. So Shackleton thought, well, the only real um, chance for rescue would be if they took one of their lifeboats and they rowed, or sailed, sorry, rather, they had, it was, they had sails. They sailed from Elephant Island back to South Georgia where they knew the whaling station was. But that is 800 kilometers. And it's some of the roughest seas in the world. Okay, they call it the, uh, what did I write here? The, the notorious Cape Horn Rollers. Apparently the swells there are up to 18 meters. And this is a little, it's a six meter long little, little lifeboat. <laughs> So obviously not all of them could fit in. There was a crew of 28. So he chose five guys, uh, and he specifically chose five specific people. They did some some renovations and sort of strengthening to their little lifeboat. And after nine days of preparation, and they stocked it up with supplies, they got onto this boat, and they said goodbye to the 22 other crew members, uh, and they set, set off to sail to, to get help, basically. And you can appreciate uh, who, whichever team you were on, it was, it was hectic. <laughs> so, um, and Shackleton put a guy called Frank Wilde in charge. So, so Shackleton was in charge, obviously, the boat sailing to South Georgia, and um, uh, Frank Wilde was in charge of the 22 guys left behind. Um, and uh, every morning... Frank Wilde would get up and say to the crew, they say, he would say, lash up and stow your belongings, get ready, because the boss may come back today. And he didn't know that the boss would ever come back. But every day he said to the 22 crew left behind, just waiting to be rescued, lash up and stow your belongings, get ready, the boss may come back today. And the boss did come back almost four months later. Uh, they sailed 16 days, they got to the wrong side of the Georgia Islands. They landed on an uninhabited side. They uh, had to hike over uh, uncharted mountains and slide down glaciers for 36 hours, and they got to that whaling station. And they were then, they, they, they obviously, they, they, were rescued. They, weren't res- they weren't recognized when they got there. They were just had gone through so much. And um, after Three months, they eventually they tried multiple times to get back to Elephant Island to, to rescue these guys. Um, and after three months, they were able, almost four months, they were able to get a boat there. And they were apparently busy eating lunch. They were busy eating a lunch of boiled back, seal backbone. Can you imagine that? That's what they were living on there. And they saw the boat. And within one hour, they were all saved. And they never went back to Elephant Island. And what an amazing picture of just Frank Wilde keeping everyone's hopes up. He didn't know. When that little six-meter-long boat, and I went, when I went to Cambridge, I saw, I took a photo of a replica. It's called the James Caird, uh, if you, that photo of the boat. I don't know if it's... There you go, there you go. That's the James. That's what they sailed, 800 kilometers, six meters long, 
do these Cape Horn rollers, 68, and with hurricane winds, I mean, it was, so you can imagine, they didn't know they would get there, and, and the, the crew didn't know that they would make it, but they did, and, um, but he, every day, Frank Wilde said to them, lash up and stow, the boss may come back today. Um, and when they, when, it, when, when they came back, it was, it was like that. Within one hour, they were busy eating whale boat or seal bone, and then they were on that rescue boat, and they were, they were all survived, including the stowaway. <laughs> all 28 of them. So, yeah, I think that was just a, you know, I like these stories, um, stories of courage and stories of hope. Um, but, yeah, if we don't have Jesus in our life, then we try to put our hope in, in other stuff. We try to put our hope in, in money and, and stuff, and we try and buy things. Uh, and, you know, that gives us some kind of temporary, temporary hope and temporary things that everything will be okay. Or, or maybe we just want to, you know, say, oh, if I could just go on another holiday, and I like going on holidays, but, you know, just another holiday, that will, you know, may everything will be right, I'll feel okay, and, you know, then the holiday's over and you're back to, oh, you know, what's going on here, or, or we put our hope in people, I mean, we do put our hope in people, and our family, and friends, but all of that is temporary, and, and people disappoint us, and um, fail us, or we, you know, we're looking at the country, and we put our, want to put our hope in the politicians, or a different country, in a different political system, um, but all of these things will fail and disappoint us. Uh, it just gets us into debt, it gets us bitter, we're bitter about people, we're bitter about the country, and, and we just don't end up having hope. But our only hope is in Jesus, and that's, that's when we can have hope. So how should we live if we have hope in Jesus? How should we live? Uh, just put four things down there, but the first one is that we live with eternity in mind. Titus 2 says, For the grace of God has appeared and offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we can say no to ungodliness. We can live sensible, righteous, godly lives in this world. And we can look forward to eternity. Um, and we're not slaves to our few years on earth. Um, it disappoints us. We have this hope that our oh, life's going to be great. But there are disappointments in life. But we live with eternity in mind. We can look forward to eternity. That this is not it. We are looking forward to Jesus is coming back. And we can live out our purpose. We've been talking about purpose. Um, and we can live out our purpose with eternity in mind. So that's the first thing. We live with eternity in mind. The second thing, we keep singing. We've got to keep singing. That is, and whether you can sing or not, you've got to sing. Um, <laughs> uh, Isaiah 54 says, sing. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into songs of joy, um, because more are your children, more are the children of the desolate woman than she who has a husband, says the Lord. Christians have to sing. Worship, singing keeps us alive. It keeps us full of hope. Wawa, we all know, well, most of you will know Wawa. I wrote down what he said. He said, you've got to sing before something happens. You've just got to sing. And that's what Isaiah 54, that lady was singing. Um, and I don't know if you remember Elliot Sonjika. Um, he preached here a while ago before he died. And he said he feels that, that, that his job in the home is to start the song. 
Um, and we've just got to keep singing. That's, that's so crucial. Um, there's a, a beautiful Zulu song that says, Sizo Hambanaye, Sizo Hambanaye, Nomtla Wenjabulo, Sizo Hambanaye. We will walk with God. We will walk that God with God until that great day of rejoicing when Jesus comes back. We will walk with God. It then goes on to say, Sizo Twalanyanda, Sizo Twalanyanda. We will carry the load. We will carry the load. Until that day of rejoicing, we will carry the load. And we've just got to keep singing and reminding ourselves that we will keep going. We will have hope until that great day of rejoicing. Um, so, yeah, just keep singing. And if we have hope, then we have rest. We have rest and we have new strength. Psalm 62 says, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. Um, and so Isaiah 41 says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So that's how we should live with eternity in mind. We don't live as those who have no hope. Those who do not have Jesus do not have hope. And they try and put their hope in possessions, um, in people, um, in politics, in all sorts of things. But we put our hope in Jesus. And, yeah, we have rest, we have new strength, and we are encouraged. In conclusion, um, I'd just like to read something from a very famous children's uh, children's story called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And you might have read it growing up as a kid. Um, but it's, it's a beautiful story that was written by a very famous theologian slash, slash philosopher called C.S. Lewis. And he basically retells in a children's story the, 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 the story about Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. Uh, in, in the, it's a story about a lion, a, a witch, and four adventurous children. And these four children discover a magical land and a wardrobe. I mean, it does sound a bit ridiculous, but it's a really fun story. If you uh, haven't read it, it's good. And there's a movie, good movie. You must read it. They discover this magical land called Narnia uh, in the wardrobe. But this country is just frozen in time. It's frozen in winter, and it's being ruled by the White Witch. Um, and they enter the country, and they make friends with various people, or not people, but beavers and all sorts of mythical creatures. Um, but one of the children, Edmund, he breaks a rule in the country, and that, that penalty for breaking the rule is death. And the White Witch has no mercy. The only hope for him is Aslan who is the, actually a true king of Narnia. And in the book it says, uh, and there's the quote, it says, They say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he has already landed. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken those words, everyone felt quite different. So this story, in this story, Aslan represents Jesus. Uh, and he moves, as he comes, as he lands, as he moves, it starts to move, the whole country just starts to unfreeze. And spring starts to come. And it's amazing. Uh, and you, when you watch it in the movie, it's really, really cool. And then Aslan pays the price for Edmund's wrongdoing. And he is killed. But then he is raised from the dead. And it's a beautiful story showing us... Um, uh, yeah, just what Jesus has done for us and what he's going to do for us. So we can say with confidence that Jesus is on the move. And perhaps he's coming today. 
We don't know. Perhaps he's already landed. Perhaps he's coming today. And this should make us feel quite different because we have hope and we can rest in that. So this is my challenge for us today, that we live life with thinking about perhaps today. This should change how we live our lives. And if you don't know Jesus, perhaps today, won't you think about um, just yeah, making him Lord of your life, that you can have that hope that we have. Um, when everything seems hopeless, um, we can put our hope in Jesus. Um, when things seem hopeless financially or seem hopeless with uh, family members, um, with work situations, with health situations, perhaps today God is going to break through. He's going to answer your prayer. He's going to deliver you. He's going to heal you, save you, um, bring reconciliation. Perhaps today we will see that cloud that's just going to break the drought. Uh, and we live in hope of that. And we can live in hope of that because of Jesus and what he's done for us. And that he's coming back again.